the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Condemned as sinners, each and every one of us, the only escape is having faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. As we'll see today on Abounding Grace, join us. The book of Galatians. It was written to teach us the most important lesson. You are not what you think you are, but you are what God declares you to be. On today's program, we take the time to go to Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 29. We're going to take a look at the distinction between the law and the gospel, and just exactly how they interact with one another and why it's so important. Join us for today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Here's Pastor Gary. I want to begin today by reminding you why the book of Galatians was written. The book of Galatians was written to teach us one of the most important, if not the most important lesson in all of life. And that is, you are not what you think you are but you are what God declares you to be. Regardless of what you think about yourself, regardless what you are convinced about yourself, it is what God says about you that defines who you are. No matter what you think, God says, if you do not have faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a condemned sinner at war with God. But God also says, if you have faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are forgiven. You are accepted with God as his child, and you are at peace with him. We are not what we think we are or what we say we are. We are what God declares us to be. This third chapter of Galatians is a powerful chapter. And the point of this chapter is very straightforward. It is to bring out the absurdity and total impossibility of justifying yourself before God, which is the religion of most human beings today. You know, I've got to do something to justify myself with God, to justify my existence, to get in good with God, to merit His favor, I've got to do something. And I have the power to do something. Because I'll be as loving as I can, I'll be as generous as I can, I'll be as kind as I can, I'll be as wholesome as I can, and then hopefully I will end up with just enough points to get me in, even if it's by the skin of my teeth, And be accepted with God. So the third chapter of Galatians is to show the absurdity of that viewpoint. 
which is what most people today believe, that they can and must do something to earn God's favor, to make enough points with God, to be in with Him. And it not only shows the absurdity, it shows the absolute impossibility of such a religion. And it shows the absurd impossibility of the view of self-justification or salvation by works or, or love in order to highlight the one way that does get us to God and the true nature of salvation, and that is that salvation from sin, its guilt and all of its consequences, now and forever, is a free gift of God through faith in Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death, which is what we deserve. That is what we have earned and are earning every day. God owes no one anything at all. If we ever had any right to his goodness or generosity, we forfeited it by our sins. And he could have let us perish in our unbelief and our rebellion against him. But out of sheer undeserved, unmerited, unearned grace, he gives salvation as a free gift without any cause in us. To whoever will take it through faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Because Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection did everything that was necessary to secure eternal redemption for all of those who would believe in him. So the moment you put your faith in Christ and you quit trying to justify yourself, the judge of heaven and earth forgives you of all of your sins, accepts you into his family on the basis of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago as our substitute in taking the guilt and the penalty of our sins upon himself, that we will not go to hell when we die and be separated from God forever. So in the third chapter, in order to highlight that great truth of justification by faith alone, it shows <clears throat> excuse me, the impossibility of self-justification. Let me remind you how... It does this. In the first five verses, it says that such an idea of trying to justify yourself before God is contrary to the, to the reality of the Christian experience. No Christian has ever, ever, ever experienced self-justification. He shows us in verses 10 and 12 that that is contrary to Old Testament law. That this law of God, which Paul's opponents, opponents who were called the Judaizers in his day, were using against Paul, is against such a view. Remember what the Judaizers said. They said, you must not only believe in Jesus to get the strength that you need, but you must also obey the ceremonial laws and the various other laws of the Bible in order to earn your salvation. 
So it's not through faith in Christ alone. It is through Christ and doing all these various other rituals and rites and obeying these various commands so you can make enough points to be accepted with God. And Christ will give you the strength to do it. Well, they were quoting the Old Testament law. But Paul says here, you can't quote the laws of the Old Testament that you say you love because the laws of the Old Testament specifically say that all of the law of God can do to us is condemn us because it first of all commands us. So if we do not obey it, then it condemns us. Or if we're going to be justified by our ability to obey God, We've got to obey all of God's laws 100% of the time from the moment we are born until the moment we die without one slip-up. And the thing is, self-justification is impossible. And the law of God itself condemns such a view. And then notice, throughout this chapter, he takes us to the experience of Abraham. And that was a stroke of genius on Paul's part. Because these Judaizers were claiming kinship to Abraham as their only hope. Paul said, well, if you love Abraham, understand he wasn't justified by works. He was justified by faith in Christ alone. So this idea of self-justification goes against the experience of the most important men in the Old Testament. Then Paul in verse 11 speaks of the prophets at the end of the Old Testament and how their views go against the idea of self-justification and self-righteousness. The Old Testament prophets themselves say the righteous shall live by faith. That the standing of a righteous man before God is through faith and not on the basis of his own righteousness or anything else that he does. And we're going to see more about this in detail in a future sermon. Then notice in verses 13 and 14, he says, such a view of self-justification is contrary to the significance of the death of Christ. All men are under a curse. Because of sin, the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth, and took that curse upon himself for all of his people. Why? Because they couldn't remove it themselves, no, no matter what they did. If, if a man could remove that curse and be accepted with God by doing enough things, enough good works, then it would literally be stupid for God to send Jesus to die on the cross. And the death of the Lord Jesus Christ means there is no way for a person to be accepted with God and certainly not by self-justification because he took the curse upon himself. Then in verses 15 through 29 that Bob read earlier, we see that it is contrary to the covenant of grace. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to summarize three months of Sunday sermons in the next three hours. Just kidding. 
<clears throat> in the next few minutes. I mean, over the, over the next few minutes, we're going to, or hopefully you're going to understand chapter 3, verses 15 through 29, and understand the gospel to understand the true nature of salvation, and understand why self-justification is absolutely absurd. And we must understand, to do that, the covenant of grace that God established with man. So let's go over these verses. In these few verses, Paul spans 2,000 years of history and brings together Abraham, Moses, and Jesus. He shows us how God's promise to Abraham 2,000 years earlier was confirmed to Moses 500 or so years later and was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ 1,500 years after that. And he shows us that the whole Bible, from Genesis to the end, tells the story of God's sovereign grace, of God's plan to save poor lost sinners like we are in and by Jesus Christ. And this is the story of God's covenant of grace. Now let me stop here and say that One of the reasons Galatians 3 is so frequently misunderstood today is because postmodern man doesn't think like the apostles thought. Because the postmodern man, those who are within the church as well as those who are outside the church, does not have a biblical philosophy of history. A philosophy of history is not just for philosophers. A philosophy of history is not for those only who are interested in history. I say to you that at whatever level of schooling you have or you attend to have, whatever you do in life without a biblical philosophy of history, you will not be very successful in this world. Without a biblical philosophy of history, you certainly will not understand Galatians 3 or the gospel itself. Why is it that modern man does not have a biblical philosophy of history and a way of looking at the flow of history from a biblical perspective? Because as John said... Modern man is so preoccupied with current affairs that neither the past or the future has any great interest for him. Oh, he can tell you about the Mueller investigation. He can tell you all about Hillary's lies and corruption. He can talk to you all day about the latest superhero movie. And they say people and personages and the overall scheme of things are mere glitches in the history of the world that preoccupy all our time and thought. And the great acts of God in history and in future, people are totally ignorant of because they have no great interest in them. The average man today lives only for the present. You only go around once, they say in life, so grab all the gusto you can. And modern, yet modern man fails to see the significance of even this present moment. 
because you'll never understand your present life if you don't understand where you have come from or where you are going. If you fail to see that history has a definite purpose and a definite flow and definite unity, you are going to miss out on the present altogether. And this cultural literacy is every bit as serious as the functional illiteracy of millions of graduates of public high school. Let me explain that. Every year, over 2 million teenagers graduate from the 12th grade who are functionally illiterate. And I'm not even considering the dropouts here, beloved. I'm talking about those who actually graduate after 12 years in public schools. And this is the way it has been for many years. Over 2 million a year cannot do a math problem that requires three steps or more and cannot understand most articles in the newspaper. They are functionally illiterate now. Can you imagine where all these people are going to be as they try and make their way through life? Well, I, can be sh I think we can be pretty sure that most of them are either going to be in jail or on welfare because they can barely read or write. Well, there is something every bit as dangerous and serious as functional illiteracy in this country, if not more so, and that is cultural historical, moral illiteracy. That among those who are functionally illiterate and those who are literate, there is an abysmal cultural, historical, and moral illiteracy. They know nothing about their heritage. They don't know about their culture and history. So you can't talk intelligently about the past with these people or about the things that have made us what we are. It's amazing as I see statistics every year. They don't know who fought in the so-called Civil War or any of the nations that were involved in World War II. They can't even identify New York on a map and all kinds of historical and cultural information that is absolutely necessary to survive in this world because they have abysmal ignorance of it all. The average person today that is culturally and historically illiterate does not know what to preserve in his heritage and what to throw away because he has no way of analyzing and making sense of the trends and the fashions and the institutes of this world. He has no way to forecast the future except in terms of his own futile and strangling attempts to control it. Such a person is easy prey for manipulation by tyrants. So without a biblical philosophy of history, which explains everything that happens in history, we will remain slaves to sin and slaves to man and his institutions down through our generation. You know, there are far more slaves 
in the year 2019 in the U.S. than there were in the South in 1861. And beloved, this slavery is far more dehumanizing. So let's talk about the covenant because there's no use going into the text until we make sure that we understand covenant correctly. The covenant is one of those ideas and words that occurs throughout scripture. Every book of the Bible has it as its theme and it is the structure in which everything in the Bible takes place. Everything that happens to anyone from Genesis to Revelation happens to them because of some promise or some law or some act of obedience or some disobedience to something in God's covenant. And the same is true of you and me, by the way. What is this covenant? Whenever you think of the word covenant, think Bond, B-O-N-D. It is an intimate and eternal bond of friendship between the creator of the universe and people of his choosing in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to try to keep this as simple as I can so that you can retain this in your mind. Whenever you read the Bible, have these thoughts in your mind. The covenant is an eternal, intimate bond of friendship between the creator of the universe and the people of his choosing in the Lord Jesus Christ in which God is their sovereign friend and they are his servant friends. In this bond, God gives us two blessings. He gives us communion of life with himself. That is, every day of our lives, we can live in intimate fellowship with God and know who we are. We can know God and know we know God. And with this communion of life, this daily fellowship we have with him, God gives us a sovereignly dictated order of life in his word by which we are then to live. In other words... In this covenant bond, he gives us promises and he gives us law. He gives us promises to feed our faith and to draw us closer to him. And he gives us law so that we know how to live as his covenant people, distinct from the rest of the world. Another thing to remember about the covenant is that when God enters into a bond of friendship with a man, God claims that man's family down through his generations. So remember what God told Abraham in Genesis 17, 7. He said, I will be your God and you will be my people down through your generations in an everlasting covenant between me and you and your seed or descendants. So you see, once you bring in the word descendants, You are then talking about the progress of history. You're talking about one generation giving birth to another and to another and to another. So you're talking about the flow of history. God's covenant is that bond of friendship between the creator of the universe and the Lord of history, between himself and people of his own choosing in the Lord Jesus Christ down through 
of their generations. Now, because this is made between God and sinners, it has to be a covenant of grace. And that's why I'm always talking about a covenant of grace. It's not something that sinners ever deserve. God is, of course, not dealing with pure, clean people. God is dealing with undeserving, helpless sinners who not only deserve God's condemnation, but who cannot lift themselves out of the mire of their own sins. And yet, God condescends to where they are and in grace and mercifully, totally undeservingly brings them into a close relationship with himself. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is four. 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB, that stands for Post Mailbox, number 402-1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.